UMass Amherst professor Tatish Nateta could introduce his students to the debate over reparations in a lot of different ways. But there's a reason he chooses this one. And now a New Center 3 special report with Frank Dobson and Chuck Taylor. Good afternoon. A comedy show sketch from the early 2000s. It is a news report, right? From Dave Chappelle. I show the skit almost every year when I teach. Our top story? As we all know, Congress recently approved paying over a trillion dollars to African Americans as reparations for slavery. Well, today, the first checks were sent out. The comedian is dressed as a gray-suited, ashen-faced anchor. To give you an idea of where this satire is headed, the scene starts at a liquor store. Wendy? Thanks, Chuck. We're standing here in front of the Olympic Liquor Store in Queens, where scores of African Americans have been lined up for hours. We spoke to a few of them earlier. So picture Professor Nateta showing this to a room of college students. Students who, let's face it, were too young to have seen the show the first time around. Maybe even too young to remember when reparations for black Americans were considered politically radical and unreasonable. When a sketch like this one would elicit laughter. They're using them to buy expensive cars and rims and jewelry. And it connects with the widespread stereotype regarding the uh, ways in which African-Americans are frivolous with their money. That's right, baby. I just bought this truck straight cash. And I got enough cigarettes to last me and my family for the rest of our lives. Come rich, bitch! Nateta uses this sketch as a way to break the ice. Because talking about reparations can be awkward, especially if you don't acknowledge racist stereotypes. There is, I think, an underlying belief that if African-Americans as a group are given reparations, are given cash payments, that this would be wasted by the community. But this past year, in the aftermath of widespread social justice protests, Nateta actually did a formal poll about this, about what Americans today think of the idea of cash reparations. The most uh, frequent explanation for why it is people oppose reparations are that African-Americans and the descendants of slaves are undeserving of these cash payments. Consider this. Juneteenth is now a federal holiday in part because of a national reckoning over race. We'll look at another shift following that reckoning, real attempts at reparations for the descendants of slaves and whether that shift could tip the scales towards bigger change. From NPR, I'm Audie Cornish. It's Friday, June 18th. NPR's No Compromise podcast just won the Pulitzer Prize. We explore a breed of gun rights activism that's online, organized, and unwilling to budge. I'm Chris Haxel. I'm Lisa Hagen. Check out No Compromise wherever you get your podcasts. It's Consider This from NPR. A few months ago, the Virginia Theological Seminary started doing something that's basically unheard of. They started cutting actual checks to the descendants of enslaved black people who used to work on campus. $2,100 sent every year. I was skeptical and also elated. This is Gerald Wanzer. His great-grandfather and other family members worked at the seminary, making him one of the beneficiaries of the new program. Just to think that all of a sudden it's come up a program that was going to give recognition to uh, the people 
who worked there in the past. The most common approach for this kind of restitution is to set up something like a scholarship fund. But this, this is different. The truth is that uh, these estates, Gerald Wands' estate was deprived of income because the seminary did not pay his forebears for uh, their labor. Ian Markham is president and dean of the seminary, and he proposed the idea of just sending cash. When you pay people for labor, you do not then designate what it should be spent on. That's the prerogative of the recipient. And when it's paid into their estate, it's the prerogative of the descendants. And therefore, to my mind, this is simple. You send them a check. Markham says these $2,000 checks, though a small token, well, it's almost like sending a paycheck albeit a few generations late. Please spend it how you like. That's what everybody else does when they get compensation for their labor. That's what you do. That's what I do. That's what we should do here too. I must say that a lot of the descendants are not happy with the program. Here's Gerald Wanzer again, one of the recipients, speaking with my colleague Ari Shapiro. I have a brother that's 90 years old, and he just seems to be put off by all of a sudden here we got come up with people, white people, trying to come up and uh, repair what happened in the past. But I don't agree with him. Well, tell us how you feel about it. What does it mean to you? I feel, uh, show me the money. <laughs> I'm, I'm all for it. I'm all for it because at last we get some type of recognition. That's the word, recognition. The reason we're talking about a small Episcopalian seminary in Alexandria, Virginia, and not a new government-funded program is because nationwide, cash reparations are unpopular. 62% of Americans oppose the idea of providing cash payments to the descendants of slaves. Again, that's Tatish Natetta, political science professor at UMass Amherst and Dave Chappelle fan. He recently ran a poll that asked Americans whether they support cash reparations and why or why not. The central group that opposes this program are Republicans, conservatives, and Trump voters. In trying to explain why it is these folks oppose reparations, the central reason that they offer is that descendants of slaves do not deserve these cash payments. So it's not about the cost of these policies. It's not about the uh, administration of these policies. The central reason is, a, is the belief that the descendants of slaves are not deserving of these cash payments. Can I ask what the second most popular reason was? Yeah. So the second most popular reason is that it's impossible to place a monetary value on the impact of slavery. And when we look at the breakdown of who it is supported this notion, or at least those who opposed reparations and then selected this explanation, uh, it tended to be progressives, it tended to be young people, uh, it tended to be Democrats and Biden voters. So in explaining the popularity of this explanation for opposing reparations, in some ways it's individuals who may be allies of those who support reparations but recognize that uh, any payment that is provided for the legacy of slavery would not be enough. 
So those numbers, 62% of Americans oppose cash reparations and 38% support, that's actually up from past polling. In 2002, Gallup asked a similar question and only 14% said they supported provisional reparations. Gallup asked again in 2019, and that number had moved up to 29%. And Nateta says the most recent jump, although slight, likely has something to do with the murder of George Floyd and the racial reckoning that followed. This uptick in support comes after a long history of the U.S. government not buying in on cash reparations. You can go back to Field Order 15 in the wake of the Civil War uh, and find low levels of support for the provision of 40 acres and a mule. You can go back to President Nixon uh, during another high point in the discussion of reparations, opposing reparations, and in some cases offering affirmative action as a compromise to the payment of reparations. President Obama, the first African-American president, uh, when asked about reparations, opposed the provision of cash payments to African-Americans and supported the investment in education and the investment in jobs in African-American communities. Uh, President Trump, when asked about reparations, made the claim that this is something that is likely not doable. And President Biden, when given an opportunity to discuss the issue of reparations at the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa massacre, was relatively quiet. I want to think about this also in the context of just U.S. policy when it comes to giving cash payments in general. In a way, we're in the middle of that experiment with like COVID payments, right? We are in this really interesting experiment as to what happens when the federal government in this case provides to a widespread population of individuals cash payments, right? So we have that from the stimulus payments. And the interesting thing that's happening, if you look at what people are using this money for, they tend to be using the money to pay their rent, to pay down their debt um, at some points in time to buy new things. But those, those purchases are fueling the economy. And so we are in a, in a moment here. And I think if proponents of reparations are really focused on trying to spread this policy across the country, to use this moment in time to demonstrate that uh, African-Americans and Americans more generally, when they receive cash payments, tend to uh, act in the ways in which most people would not assume, right? That would counter our stereotypes. But you do hear some backlash in the form of, uh, let's say, a Republican argument that is saying, look, people aren't motivated to find work because yeah. they're getting cash from the government. I mean, there is still this idea that um, this this doesn't work the way uh, the proponents of it say it will. Yeah. And so you're right. There, of course, is going to be backlash against the provision of cash payments and likely by conservatives and Republicans, given their ideological attachments and commitments. But the evidence demonstrates that individuals, when they receive these cash payments, particularly individuals at the lower end of the socioeconomic scale, are using this money to address some of the financial issues that they have faced over the course of this year. But at the same time, you know, this argument regarding um, the lack of motivation, the lack of work of individuals when they receive cash payments, I mean, there's another way to, to look at this issue. It may not necessarily be that 
the provision of cash payments leads these folks to not work. It may be that the jobs that uh, are not being filled are not paying enough. And as a country, we should start potentially looking at um, the level of payment for these jobs, these blue collar jobs um, that are not being filled. So where does that leave the U.S. in terms of this discussion? I mean, now that you've looked at these numbers, do you see a path forward where um, this movement continues or not? Yeah, I think we're seeing the beginnings of this reparations movement. It's just not occurring at the national level. So we live in a federalist system. And of course, there are benefits and costs to the federalist system. One of the benefits of a federalist system is that each locality, each town, each city, each state uh, is an experiment in democracy. And we're finding that in places like Evanston and Iowa City and Asheville, North Carolina, and here in my backyard of Amherst, Massachusetts, that local communities are beginning to not only discuss reparations for their African-American neighbors and constituents, but are actually passing policies like we've seen in Evanston innovative policies, policies which take the revenue from uh, the sale of marijuana and create these housing reparations programs that we see in Evanston. We're seeing in places like San Francisco, again, discussions, real discussions about the legacy of discrimination, the legacy of racism that has shaped uh, the contours and the demographics of that city, and a real discussion about how that community is going to deal with this legacy and, again, make the African-American community their whole. So I think we're seeing it at the local level. The question is whether or not that will spread from these very progressive cities to more conservative cities and then potentially to the nation as a whole. Tatish Nateta, professor of political science at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. You're listening to Consider This from NPR. I'm Audie Cornish.